Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. She was twisting in the bucket seats and switching through the stations on the radio. On the top floor of the parking ramp, gazing off across the Gulf of Mexico. Waiting for the phone to ring to hit you with an update on the miracle. The steps are pretty simple, but depression makes this dance craze much more difficult. There's always some frustration, that's part of the appeal So let's finish up the holiday and then see how we feel Either way, I hope you won't take it so personal And it's hard for him to fathom what more he could have done Ask the server for a setup, but the closure never comes So much for seeking safety in municipals all right, that's the hold steady, by the way. That's Craig Finn. I mean, there aren't too many rock and roll lyricists <laughs> who would write a line like, so much for seeking safety in municipals. It sounds like it was like co-written with Jim Cramer or something. Actually, I said I wrote, was writing to emailing a friend of the show, Mike Pesca, posted the gist. We're both hold steady fans. I pointed out this lyric, and I said it was like it was co-written with Scott Galloway or something. And I would have said that here, but I wasn't sure how many people know who Scott Galloway is. Anyway, the idea, somebody should put out, like, the whole, the whole city should do an entire album called Margin Call or something. It would just all be about sort of financial shenanigans. All right, so we're going to do, and I say we're going to do, the tense here is a little bit important. We're going to do Ask or Tell Me Anything today. Now, there seems to be a little bit of a problem reaching the station by car from the east. So uh, there, uh, we're not really ready to take your calls yet. I mean, I'm ready to take your calls, but there's, it's, it's a team effort is what I'm saying. It's a team effort. Uh, and so we're not quite, quite there yet. So I will tell you other things. First of all, since I have the floor, right? Well, I want to say one more thing about music. As you probably know if you listen here a lot, music is one of my great passions. I've been thinking a lot about the death of liner notes. You know, it's increasingly the case that, I mean, we used to buy albums and they had liner notes like right on them. And then we bought CDs and they had liner notes kind of, you know, folded into the, the jewel box. And as we move towards streaming, I mean, it's often kind of hard to know who did what. Like, I don't even, maybe Spotify is a little bit better. I, I use Tidal. But, um, for example, I was listening to a beautiful cover of the Coldplay song, Oh!, by the French jazz singer Emily Claire Barlow. And and somebody is playing this just fabulous, just sublime flugelhorn solo. So you can, on title, push a little button that says credits. And I push that button. And there's, of course, just like maybe 
said that Chris Martin wrote this song. <laughs> or I think all of Coldplay better written that song. I don't know. Maybe everybody in Coldplay wrote, wrote that song. And then Emily Claire Barlow was singing it. And that was sort of pretty much the limit. Maybe the name of the producer or something. But, you know, they just weren't going to tell me. They had not provided title with the information about, you know, who was playing different things. And I think that's kind of sad. I mean, I think that seems that need to be may need to be redressed at some point. I mean, we, it's I actually had to go at her website, and even there, I had to hunt and peck around. It took a while, and I, I, even ultimately, when I solved the problem, when I quote unquote solved the problem, I found a list of musicians who were on the album, and there was only one flugelhorn player, whose name I should be delivering right now as a punchline, but I don't remember it. But you see what I'm saying here. I mean, it's not a big problem. We can talk about big problems. It's not a big problem, but it's something that bothers me. All right, so we're, we're moments away from starting the fun of Ask or Tell Me Anything. If you've never heard one of these shows before, it is kind of what it sounds like, which is that people can call in. No point in giving the phone number out just yet. Uh, although there's somebody in there looking. It's so dark. Is that is that Carolyn in there? Is that who that is? Okay. It's so dark, I don't... I mean, we're sitting in semi-darkness everywhere. I was sitting here before the show went on the air, and one more light bulb just blooped out here in the studio. So I'm down to one light bulb, and it doesn't seem very brightly lit there. Cat likes to be in the darkness. By the way, is it, in fact, your birthday today? Okay. I mean, I, some people put fake birthdays up on social media. All right. So we, you know, it's catching us a little by surprise, but I'm sure we can work something out. Um, you know, we can have like a dancing... A dancing donut come in here and, and entertain you or something. Uh, all right, so oh, it's we're we're almost there. We're almost at the point. So, the, but this in fact illustrates the thing I wanted to say today. Had I but world and time, and it turns out I do. Um, which is this: one reason I like to do this show, and I do want to say that when you try to do something on public radio, that public radio doesn't typically do. You have to overcome a lot of anxiety on everybody's part. When I first started suggesting to people around here years ago now that I wanted to occasionally do a show where I didn't have any guests and I just took calls and I talked to people, everybody would go, oh, okay. Um, how about if we book a guest for the first segment, though? And I would say, well, no. <laughs> what, what about ask or tell me anything do you not get? It's the whole idea would be that there would not be any guests. Um, and so, the, you know, but every time I would propose doing one of these shows, somebody would say that. It was a different person each time, but it was like, how about if like the first two segments we have guests and then you can take calls in the third segment? So I said, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want to do this other thing. But I, one of the problems here is that in public radio, we have this model and the model is is we book really smart people uh, who are experts in their field about some topic and we ask them questions. That's like 90% of public radio shows is that. I mean, which is, and it's great. It's a terrific way to convey information to people. But like, you know, <laughs> when I first got here, oh no, I'm not going to tell that story. Never mind. Anyway, I'm, I think we can give out the number now. It seems like there's, plenty, there's now 15 people in there, uh, including some people who are still left over from the Yukon Parade. They're just sleeping on the floor. 888-720-WNPR. That's a number you could call. You could call that number and I would talk to you. 888-720-9677 is a number, another number. It's, a rel it's the same number, but with all numbers. Um, so before we do that, though, 
Here's the point I want to make. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I don't even know <laughs> whether it's <laughs> true or relevant or any of those things, the kind of things that we value on public radio. But here's what I've, I'm thinking. You know, it's become there's – there's an oversaturation of just stuff these days about AI and chatbots and GPT and all that kind of stuff. The chatbots, the GPTs. And it's clear that we are at some kind of tipping point, right? And it's clear that um, increasingly they will get better at these things. Um, and my thought is that we're probably – I'm going to propose that we do an entire episode about this. But there'll be probably be a new form of humanism. You know, there'll be – I mean, people like me who don't talk particularly smoothly – <laughs> and who are erratic in their behavior and unpredictable um, in, in very profoundly human ways. This is how I choose to characterize myself. I think my value is going to go up. I don't sound like AI. If this were AI, it would be better, right? <laughs> if this were a, a chatbot hosting a talk show, the it would make fewer mistakes. It would finish the sentence as it started. <laughs> it would do all kinds of things that I don't do. So what I'm saying is that my value to society has actually increased in the face of the onslaught of artificial intelligence. All right. I'm all done. Uh, okay. Uh, here we go. We're going to begin with Jason. We got Jason, Charlie, and Sue. Um, oh, boy. Well, Charlie, Charlie is going to be like right in my – right up my straza. But we're going to be, begin with Jason from Bristol. You have the conch shell, Jason. All right, Colin, the, you know, I see a lot of videos online of uh, violence in Israel really against the Palestinians. You know, the Israeli army going in, clearing out settlements, uh, clearing out mosques, beating women and children, shooting people. But you hear very little in U.S. news about this stuff. I mean, it's, it's underreported. But if one Israeli gets hit by a rocket, you know, it's like, and tonight in Israel. You know, it's uh, it, it really seems to be one-sided reporting uh, and underreported. There are several other things that are underreported too. Things like uh, the continuing riots in Paris over God forbid that they retire two years later, which I'm actually totally on board with them fighting <laughs> fighting against that. And, uh, and and the Restrict Act, it's not just about banning TikTok. It is a new surveillance program that really allows them to get deep into the, the, the American government, the FBI, the CIA, to get deep into your phone, your Internet. All that stuff is just another spy program against ourselves. It is far more than just about TikTok. Why are we really lacking the in-depth reporting on this? Why is uh, why do I feel like I'm one of the few people that knows? I think that reporting is there, but you have to go look for it. And uh, I, this is a really, really long conversation and one that is a big part of what I'm teaching this semester in my seminar at Yale. Um, that, first of all, yes, there are um, there are two or three problems that are now endemic to news coverage. And setting aside whatever, you know, conspiracy theories we might have or stranglehold that this or that interest group might have over the media or desire that the government, government might have to suppress certain kinds of information, all of which, you know, is implicitly contained in your question and all of which I get. But there are a couple of other problems. News is now algorithmically driven. So you're, depending on how you get your news, if you don't make affirmative steps 
to get news a certain way or to reach outside your normal behavior patterns, you will, for the most part, have news directed at you that's very similar to news that you've consumed in the past. And so, you know, without any effort whatsoever, or, or especially when no effort is made, people wind up, you know, in this kind of silo that has invisible walls, but it's, re- there, it's really there and they're in it. And then the thing that preceded that was, and, and that I think was sort of the early ruination uh, of news, was simply the digital the digital sphere where for the first time I like I worked for newspapers I went to work for a newspaper right out of college 1976 and for kind of decades I'd say for almost two decades nobody at the newspaper knew anything about like who read what you know? <laughs> I mean it was guesswork it was almost completely guesswork I mean I remember at one point there were three or four of us who had newspaper columns we had columns there and, and in terms of whose column got read more than the other person's column, the newspaper had no idea. Now, think about that. I mean, think about how, how metrically driven broadcast news already was. I mean, you know, in radio and television, because of Nielsen and Arbitron, they had a pretty, you know, they at least thought they had a pretty good handle about, you know, which kinds of hosts and which kinds of stories really worked, but especially which kinds of, you know, anchors and stuff like that. Newspapers never had any idea. The minute they went online, they knew instantly what got clicked on. And so why do you have coverage, you have five stories a day about the Fotis Dulos case and no stories about the Middle East or whatever. Guess why? Because the people click on the Fotis Dulos things. And you're, it's, it's now, it's like a Duncan Sheik song on, you know, Top 40 Radio in the 90s. They'll just play it until you scream. And, and that's pretty much how news works these days, too. Stuff. Th- this is why we've had so much, much excitement about Trump, you know, in the last two weeks. I mean, there was some news. But Trump keeps the freaking lights on. He pays the bills at CNN. Uh, He pays the bills a lot of places because there's just a lot more engagement. And you have a model. I'm stealing this idea from from Ezra Klein. You have a model that's engagement driven, right? So the the internet is an advertising monster. Uh, What is the what does it want? It wants proof. Uh, proof of just not only just reading, but true engagement. And how do you how do you drive engagement? Well, it turns out it's driven mostly by anxiety, anger, uh, outrage. Uh, those are the things that seem these kind of limbic system responses seem to drive engagement. So that's the system we're describing right now. Is it a system that's really good at thinking deeply about things? Not really. Is it a good? Is well, that's it a, why we listen to you. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Is it a good? Is it a system that's good at l- looking outside of its bubble? Like what the hell's really happening in France? It's funny too because you mentioned the TikTok bill, which is interesting, and there's a lot that can be said about that. Starting with the fact that this has been the whole thing, the whole bite dance TikTok thing, has been a little bit of kabuki, just in the sense that all of that, all of the information, or let's say most of the information that they're worried about China having, China can just go on the data markets and get that stuff. You already gave that information to Facebook and Twitter and Amazon and God knows who else. Most of that stuff, China could just go and buy really easily. They don't need ByteDance for that. But my students say that they think TikTok is in a way sort of better at pointing people at something like France or maybe even something like Israel on the brink right now. Because, first of all, any user can push stuff up. You don't have to get it past an editor. You don't have to go to the assignment desk at MSNBC and say, I think this is actually a better story than Michael Cohen. You know, anybody can get that stuff up and they can make it exciting if they're any good at doing TikTok. And that there's a potential democratizing aspect to all this. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'll shut up. 
up. I'm really sorry for this soliloquy, but you you pushed the wrong button there, Jason. But it's the right button. <laughs> the right button. So what was the other thing I was going to say? I've I actually now forgotten what that thing is. But I, well, I know what the problem is. The problem is you don't go to you then don't go to source material, right? You watch a one minute and ten and ten second video of some rando dude like yelling about, you know, the Tennessee legislature or something. And, you know, it doesn't really lead to anything. And I sort of feel like God is in the details. Like, you know, the whole Clarence Thomas story that broke over the last three days? You, you got to read the ProPublica piece. It's really good. And the best thing, read the second ProPublica piece when Thomas said, I didn't do anything. I asked like four guys down at the coffee machine whether I had to do this stuff. And they said no. And, 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 and ProPublica has like seven distinguished legal experts saying, well, that's not true. <laughs> that's why That's why I like Reddit, because Reddit usually uh, has the commentary underneath. It has a, a catchy headline. It's got the actual piece that you're discussing, and then there's the comment section underneath, which, you know, varies from uh, hard left to hard right, depending upon what thread you're in in Reddit. But Reddit is a really good spot to find the things that other people aren't talking about and might not be total BS. Right. I mean, first of all, God bless you and God bless Reddit. I'm not a critic of Reddit. Although I would say that if I were trying to describe the problem of engagement being driven by resentment, fear, anger, annoyance, um, I mean, Reddit, I wouldn't be giving Reddit a free pass. Now, I'm not even exactly sure what their value proposition is at Reddit, but it seems to me there's a lot of that there. But you're also right that there there's the recherche thing. Reddit and Facebook are both very good at helping people find each other. If you're really interested in the work of Philip K. Dick, you know, you could find, get on the – I'm sure there's a Reddit and a subreddit and a sub-subreddit that's just about replicants or something. Um, so it's really, really great that way. And yes, if you're interested in more – recherche stuff about any kind of world problem. The problem is that there's no, there's, it's all sort of self-curated, which makes me nervous, but that's me. We're, we're going to do a show this week with Alana Newhouse about some of these issues, about like weather systems. I just talked for like eight, 18 minutes or something. I'm really sorry. Here we go. We're going to get moving here. Um, <laughs> let's go to Charlie, because this is going to be a really easy one, I think. <laughs> I'll be able to knock this one out in two minutes. Hi, Charlie. Oh. Okay, hi, uh, Colin. Now, let me first, uh, can I talk to Jason first about Israel and the Palestinians? You and Jason are going to have to find each other on Reddit. If you want, I'll try to get uh, okay, Jason's okay. Yeah, Reddit okay, handle to, or whatever Reddit is. And, all right, back to civilization and, and, and not doing anything about it. That's the media that is, that is pointing everybody away and distracting them. That's part of it, okay? Yeah, um, I, I agree. I mean, I agree... Yes. I mean, you want me to say something? You, you, you keep talking, and then I'll, I'll babble at you for a minute or so. Okay, yes. More and more stuff is going wrong as, as civilization progresses. We're running out of, of non-renewable resources. We're destroying all the n- renewable resources in nature. We pretty much wiped out the bugs, which means that nature is no longer support ourselves. We cannot um, feed ourselves from oil because oil just is just unedible. Mm-hmm. And the weather is, is going to be worse than people think. It's already worse. Look what happened with Freddie and, and Mozambique. Carolyn, get me uh, Steven Pinker right now. We've got to do, we got to <laughs> tell him that things are going to be okay. So, no, actually, I mean, you're right about all that. But let me just say this, and we do have a bunch of other calls, so I should probably not okay. give a big speech. But I do feel like one of the things I see more and more 
particularly since my conversation with Emily St. John Mandel, where, you know, the novelist who wrote Station Eleven and other stuff. And one of the things that she said was in our conversation, what she found interesting about things like pandemics is that people could see them coming, but they didn't do anything. And I think that is human nature. I mean, I could point to, I mean, Charlie just enumerated some Uber problems. I mean, really, a truly sentient species, like in this planet, we're run by dolphins. <laughs> and we swam in the water, and once in a while, the dolphins would go look and see, you know, I think there are too many humans getting caught in the tuna nets. We probably <laughs> we probably should do something about that. Um, but if, do- if dolphins were running the planet, the dolphins a long time ago would say, this, you see how hot everything is getting? You see, like, the icebergs? We have to do something about that. And here's what we're going to do. Whereas we're like, you know, I mean, Charlie's right. We're just sort of pussyfooting along here. Um, and you're know, doing a little bit. I think I'll get an electric car. How about that? Um, <laughs> but I'm fascinated by even closer up things, like you know, antibiotics not working eventually, like soon. Or the more that I, I've been trying to learn more about business and money and stuff like that, and, and it is sort of amazing the stuff that we live with. You know, just like if there are, some, we just had some banks collapse. <laughs> we should have, we had some. Okay, I'll I'll put it in my Scott Galloway hat since I mentioned him at the top of the show, because like every day I listen to Scott Galloway and he says, "There's a problem here, and here's what the problem is." Okay, you've got banks collapsing and Bitcoin goes up, and they seem to be on the same seesaw. He said, so you've got a small group of one percenters who have vast holdings in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Um, And they make a lot of money when conventional monetary systems start to suck. (laughs) And and, and so think about that. You have the richest and most powerful and most influential people in the country are probably holding an awful lot uh, of pseudo money that behaves in a 180 degree opposite direction to the conventional financial systems. So, like, if they wanted to, they could probably get on their supercomputers and mess around a little bit in ways that would be beyond my ken uh, and make banks be even worse <laughs> or create panics. I mean, one of the problems with banking is, is that that's something people are capable of panicking about, sort of, short term. But large system problems are what we don't panic about or we don't do anything about. So, I mean, you've got a very, very delicate situation here that could very easily produce something close to another 2008. I don't think we're even close to that right now, but the Emily St. John Mandel point would be if we were getting close, we wouldn't behave differently, partly because, you know, there's sort of a a Zeno's paradox here. We just keep getting a little closer, a little closer, a little closer, having the distance between us and disaster. But we're sort of convinced we'll never hit the target. Uh, And let's see about that. All right. Let's go to, I know what'll save us, roller derby. Here's Sue in Marlboro. Hi, Sue. You've got the floor. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you crystal clear. All right. Um, So you and I, Colin, are probably both old enough to remember watching roller derby on TV in the 70s or 80s. But I wanted to let you and all your listeners know that roller derby is actually alive and well right here in Connecticut and actually all across the country and all across the world. Um, women's flat track roller derby is a thing. It's a full contact, awesome, action-packed sport. And uh, we're going to be playing right here uh, um, in South Windsor, Connecticut on Saturday. 
So that's what I called for. Okay, who's playing who uh, on Saturday? <laughs> so um, I belong to Hartford Area Roller Derby. And, you, you, you need uh, a better name. Team, <laughs> um, our A team is the Hartford Whalers, W A I L E R S. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. And our B team is the Banshees, and uh, both the Whalers and the Banshees will be playing uh, Team Quebec and the Connecticut Brutals, uh, which is a team based in the Waterbury area, right here in Connecticut. I would be a little nervous on your behalf. Like, so the Quebec team <laughs> is from Quebec. Yes, they are. They're okay. And then there's a team called the Brutals from Waterbury. I would just call in That's sick for correct. this. I, you know, I just like no. feel like these are the, you know, the people from Quebec are very good at chucking and knocking into one another. <laughs> and and Waterbury. So are we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, don't you know? Don't embarrass us then. You know, like I don't want to hear that you're all in the ER and you lost. Uh, but it is good. I'm glad yep. that you're standing up for roller derby suit. Great call. I'm going to take Charlie and Glastonbury. I know I'll fry the clock, but but so what? Uh, like, what are we really? What, what are we here for? <laughs> to, to follow rules? <laughs> um, apparently not. Uh, here's Charlie in Glastonbury, and then we're going to go to a break, and we won't have any calls, so you'll have to call in. But hi, Charlie. Hi, Colin. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I want to talk about the music on your show today. Okay. First, first of all, I love it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm curious, how do you find these pieces of music, songs I've never heard of, that are just perfectly related to what you're discussing? Uh, and then, I, I hate to say this, but sometimes when your show isn't quite as good, I listen just for the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, well, uh, of course, my goal is to get you to listen just for the music and then stay. Oh. But, uh, but I get what you're saying. First of all, as Jonathan McPants probably told you or might have told you, nothing could make me happier than A, to talk about this topic, and B, your attitude. So I'm pretty intimately involved. <laughs> I one, time, one time I asked my producers, am I a control freak? And McPants said, only about the music. And it is kind of true that I believe, first of all, that the first song we play is really important, particularly in podcasting formats. You got about five minutes to set the hook, you know? So you better have a good song. Uh, and a lot of times I'm playing it for you, but I'm also playing it for the guest if we have one. And if the guest hears that we've picked out a song, which they don't necessarily know, but is really on point, really kind of hooks cleverly into what we're doing, then I feel like the guest kind of animates, steps up another level. So, yeah, we I spend a lot of time with it. Uh, on these Ask or Tell Me Anythings, I have soul discretion, and I pick all the songs. The way that I pick the songs for these is more um, three of the four songs that we'll use today were released in the last 10 days. Um, and I, that's sort of a fun thing for me to do. But, um, but yeah, we've spent a lot of time, and I really work hard with my producers on getting the music right. Be, I'll say one more thing about this, and then we really have to break, or I'll, I don't know what will happen. But... Um, you know, when you're on the radio, there's like a lot of things you can't do. You can't show pictures. You can't, you know, all you can do is make noise on the radio. That is like everything has to be some kind of noise. And, and so music is really important. It's not a casual conversation. It's a vital one. Uh, we have to do it right because really there's, you know, there's just, you know, our, our quiver has only two or three arrows in it and we better shoot them the right way. All right. Thanks for that question. We're very proud of our music. We'll, uh, we'll go out with something. I think this is, this is the kit. I think this is what we're going out with here. Brand new release from This Is The Kit. Here we go. Cool it out again. Cool it out again. The way to go. Roll it out again. 
Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Le ciel est plein de joie La nuit est parfumée Auquel parfum subtil Odeur de feu de bois Douce odeur de fumée Odeur du mois d'avril On sent que bientôt c'est la fête La jolie fête du printemps qui fleurit par-dessus nos têtes Le ciel d'avril Comme les champs Une étoile m'a dit Deux étoiles m'ont dit Connais-tu le pays du rêve Le pays d'amour Sous le ciel bleu Tout est that's Cecile McLaurin Salvan, since we're talking about what the music we use. Actually, the mayor of our uh, annual jazz show, Gene Seymour, he and I have been sort of in a, a gentle tug of war over her for a while, in the sense that he really regards her as the one. She's Neo. She's here in the Matrix to save us, or whatever that whole thing is. And I, I've had my doubts, but she's but she's never put out an um, album entirely in French before. I love this. I love this album. Very excited. All right. So this is Ask Her Tell Me Anything. It seems to mostly involve me babbling. Uh, that's just the way it, that's the way the vibe was today. 888-720-WNPR. You are free. You are encouraged to call up with anything, any question or comment. 888-720-WNPR. That does not mean you'll get a satisfactory answer. Uh, if you are bad at spelling on your phone, it's 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Let's talk to Deb from Farmington. Hi, Deb. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? I am just fine. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, I had something I was wondering about. Mm -hmm. Why do consumer vehicles, when they come out of the factory, have the ability to go upwards of 160 miles per hour when speed is obviously a factor in automobile accidents? Yeah. You think that's changing with like hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles? Is it is the speed ability coming down? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, uh, you know, it sort of stands to reason. Well, actually, what stands to reason is probably right now 
uh, EVs are probably underpowered compared to, say, a Crown Vic or something. Um, and but I also think for for every all the reasons and conditions that you're suggesting that the trajectory of EVs will be to catch up with that so they can go 160 miles an hour. I, I feel look, a lot of this is psychological. I mean, let's just say there's also aftermarkets uh, markets and foreign markets that are worth talking about. For example, I discovered back in the 90s or early aughts that Crown Vicks, particularly like, so Crown Vicks are what cops used to drive almost you know universally, particularly state cops. And so they'd... Um, when they sort of they were past their prime, the state would have these auctions, and you could go to the auctions, and you could just they would just they're it's really fun. They just roll stuff by you, and you make bids and stuff. Uh, I once bought my son a Taurus that had belonged to a correction a probation officer, I think. But anyway, there was this aftermarket for these things in like Saudi Arabia because first of all, these Crown Vicks get about twenty blocks to the gallon, you know, but they don't care over there, and they want to go fast. And they got a lot of open country. <laughs> A lot of desert where they could just put pedal to the metal. So sometimes it's not even necessarily you know the market that we're thinking of. It's not Route 44 or Route 4, and you can't go faster than six miles an hour on Route 4 most of the time anyway. That's when you're not actually standing still on Route 4. I'm just saying this because you're from Farmington and you'll identify. Um, but late at night, yeah, yes. That doesn't mean that there aren't people like speeding by oh, yeah. in, oh, yeah. you know, in all the towns. Yeah, they're going up Town Farms. Red lights yeah, they're going up Town Farms Road as fast as they can. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. You're, I think you're right. I mean, I don't know why there's excess capacity other than – you know, it's it's got to be a selling point. It's got to be there's certain people, I bet, but most of them have Y chromosomes, um, <laughs> you know, who, who no want to know they could go 135. Well, I mean, first of all, dudes will go up on the highway, you know, and you know, I, when I was in high school <laughs> – a certain family out of Country Squire. And, like, remember those little clunk? I don't know how old you are, but they were the like, old crunk, clunky station wagons. I remember wagons. station wagons yeah. and wooden sides and yeah, riding right. in the back. They were ridiculously overpowered. I don't know what the CCs were, you know, the engine. They were ridiculously overpowered. And so, like, high school guys would get those things and go, they'd go up on the highway at 3 a.m. and they would get them up to 135 miles an hour. So. But I, you're right in terms of having a society where people don't die in crashes and there's some mayhem. You know, it would make more sense to build cars that had governors on, on that. I bet you you can do that, you know, in Scandinavian socialist democracies. Try doing it here. This is this is the knucklehead USA. I mean, you know, or we are the United States of knuckleheads. USK. USK. <laughs> it might be good for us to be responsible. I've written to Senator Murphy about it, and he has not responded, but that's okay. Yeah. No, well, it might be—first of all, it might be good for us to be sentient beings— is maybe my favorite sentence so far this week, you know, particularly mm-hmm. said in a kind of hopeful but not entirely hopeful tone. It might be good for us to be sentient beings or whatever it was you just said. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm troubled because there's somebody else on the on the board who wants to talk about sentient beings. Oh, but, um, oh okay. Why don't, you, why don't you go? I don't know if there's anything else to say about this other than the fact that perhaps we could change things. Could I just say one thing about Chris Murphy, though? Something affirming. So, as many people know, at the Yukon parade over the weekend, somebody fell on top of Dick Blumenthal and broke his leg. And so there was quite a bit of coverage. But if you follow Murphy's Twitter account, he just had this amazing tweet. He said, One thing about uh, Dick Blumenthal breaking his leg, and then he said, He dusted himself off and he finished the parade. And then he wrote, 
most Dick Blumenthal thing ever. Uh, and I just loved the tone of that tweet. And if you know Dick, you know exactly what he's talking about. So anyway, thanks so much. Uh, I promise sentient beings. I'm going to give you sentient beings in Lebanon. Jackie from Lebanon calling in. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Um, ever so often, I, I, I love this show. It's my favorite. But uh, ever so often, I decide to take a deep breath and dive again and talk about part of my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I listened to a segment on the radio about how impossible that was, except that everything is energy. And we're sitting in front of various objects that are created by us, just radiating out this energy. And to think that nothing would occur from that seems, well, it just seems illogical. But uh, so there are sentient beings, one of which I know very well. And and I won't go into that. I'm used to, you know, uh, being... Well, not believed, because um, it doesn't fit into the current reality. All right. Well, first of all, I'm going to stop you there. I want to know more. Okay. So you're used to not being believed because what you believe doesn't doesn't fit into the current reality. Ah, Give me a specific. Throw a specific at me. Okay. Um, uh, Speaking at one point with um, an off-planet family member, Mm I I had one of them say to me, it's color, it's just color, because I was also speaking to a hawkling. They are um, nine up to ten, or about eight to ten feet tall, and they are humanoid praying mantis. So I was thinking to myself, Whatever are they going to do when they see some of these beings? You know, because they're just going to. I think they're going to lose it. You think but the hawklings? Like you think the hawklings, the giant praying mantises, are going to lose it and eat the sentient beings? I'm just making sure. I'm, you need sentient beings. Yeah. Well, I'll call you back when I'm on. All right, call when call, I'm on the ship. Yes. Okay. Call, call me back when you're on the ship. Let's make that a promise. You should actually, um, before that, check your Verizon, make sure, you know, or whatever. I think T-Mobile is the best. I think they say they're the best if you're on some kind of, you know, ship somewhere. I mean, like, going into outer space. All right. So we're going to take a little break here. I think we've got a, <laughs> I think we've got a lot to digest. That's how I feel anyway. We'll take a very quick break. We'll come back. All right, we are back. Uh, it is time to say some thank yous. A uh, special thank you to Kat Pastor, who's our technical producer, keeping things running, keeping things humming, all that kind of stuff. Jonathan McPants is the producer of this show, and he is the person who is 
uh, clearing calls when people call 888-720-WNPR, which you can do right now. 888-720-9677. And we got our new producer, Carolyn McCusker, is backstopping him in there, learning everything, learning everything in a sort of whole kung fu grasshopper kind of way. Uh, and we have to thank our producer, Lily Tyson, senior producer, Lily Tyson, who right now is somewhere doing something very responsible. I mean, I just feel latently comfortable saying that. Uh, all right. <laughs> she may also wonder what the hell is going on in the studio right now. Um, things haven't been right since the light bulb started going off. Here is Chris from Avon. We've also, oh, Greg from Stores is going to give us an update on the top speeds of cars. Uh, all right. Here is Chris from uh, Avon with a comment. Hi. Uh, I'm just uh, putting in a plug. Earth Day is coming up. Uh, the plug is against litter. Uh, stop throwing things out of your car and maybe on Earth Day pick a place and pick up some litter. I totally agree. There are some beautiful places that I walk, and I'm kind of amazed sometimes about the wantonness. It, we're not really against litter. We're against litterers. Let's not blame the litter. Let's blame the litterer. Uh, hate the, yeah. hate the, hate the uh, litterer, love the litter or something. But, yeah, I mean, I'm amazed at just, like, you know, why you would go to some pristine environment. This has lovely trails and hillsides and stuff like that. And then you, like, drop this, like, big gulp cup, you know, like right on the trail. What are you thinking? Or what is your child thinking? Sometimes it's kids, and I don't, I don't get why nobody's, yeah. you know. But yes, I, 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 here's what I don't recommend doing because I did it once and probably almost got killed. Which is, you see the entire box of like, you know, takeout just go out the out the window as the car's moving full speed. Somebody like chucks it out, you know, and just like, uh, and so I, I remember pulling up. This is quite a few years ago. Pulling up at the next light next to that car, kind of gesturing for them to roll down the window. And then I said, in what I thought was the nicest tone possible, could you like possibly not just throw junk out your window because I live in this neighborhood? And <laughs> and the person really looked like he or she might kill me. I mean, it was one of those things yeah. where the minute I started this conversation, I thought, what was I thinking? I'm probably going to die right now. So yeah. we have to do something about litter, but actually remonstrating with litter bugs in the act is something that, you know, if they were really nice people who wouldn't shoot you, they probably wouldn't be littering. <clears throat> You're already yeah. dealing with somebody who has abandoned certain basic precepts of humanity. So so bear that in mind. But the rest of us, let's be careful, you know. And, and you know, I think everybody sort of, I don't know. It's like one Kleenex. What's that going to? I'll tell you what's going to happen. A deer is going to eat that Kleenex and it's going to get catch your cold. How are you going to feel? 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. we got lots of open lines here, but Greg would like to uh, update us on the topic brought up by Deb from Farmington, who wanted to know, why do cars go so fast? And I, I gave my usual deeply uninformed answer to that question, but I feel like Greg might actually know something. Greg. Yeah. Okay. Well, Deb doesn't really need to lose any sleep over this. Almost no cars with the exception of certain very expensive sport cars, almost nothing in the U.S. is going to go anywhere near 160 miles an hour. Among other things, if you go much past 130, your tires are likely to disintegrate. Mm -hmm. So almost everything has an electronic or computer computer governor on it. So <clears throat> you'd be hard-pressed to get even above 120. That's good to know. That's very good to know. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I think still... <coughs> 
I mean, the point could be made that they could even the governor could maybe click on. There isn't a lot of value in say going faster than 100 miles an hour. Um, it seems to me it's not when your tires start to disintegrate; it's when your speed becomes unsafe. But maybe that's a conversation for another day. People want things that go fast. Well, yeah, but you can you will kill yourself and others. So yes, do well, that. that is that is the problem. All right, we now have completely open lines here. We have time left, so if you want to call in, it's eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. Uh, that's 888-720-9677. I want to tell you a little bit more about what's going to happen this week. Um, and we, and for once, I actually know. So um, we've been working on a show, and we have it ready. It's done by one of our wonderful interns who has now left the, our internship. Um, and none of our interns got rage virus and turned into zombies this year, so that's good too. But um, it's on hate watching and hate listening. It's on that whole sort of phenomenon of you know why do people um, decide that they're going to listen to something or watch something that they don't like, and for the joy of it. Anyway, it's I've recorded the whole show, so I actually can say with some confidence. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's a really good show. Um, we actually tried to find somebody who hate listens to this show. Um, and it's it's certainly not the case that there isn't anybody <laughs> like that, um, but we were not able to get anyone to cooperate with us um, because if they liked us enough to cooperate, you know. Okay, and then on Wednesday, I sort of already referenced this, but uh, Alana Newhouse, the editor of Tablet Magazine, uh, wrote a really interesting essay, which one of my students flagged for me about what she calls brokenism. Brokenism is basically the idea that you, when things break and no longer have any utility. I'm talking more about abstractions, societal institutions, things like that. Um, We should be prepared to let go of them and say, this is broken and can't be fixed. Um, And she describes this attitude and, and, and let's move on, you know. Like I would say defund the police is a implicitly brokenist movement. And, and she self-identifies as kind of a brokenist, and I am not. I think she kind of loads the dice by calling people like me status quoists, which is not, first of all, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but also I don't think that's quite right. Uh, I think um, I think that I see myself more as sort of among the mechanicists. <laughs> like I, I think we have to fix things. You know, if the post office doesn't work, we work. We have to fix the post office. We can't just give up on the post office. Anyway, that's going to be the conversation. Then very quickly, uh, Thursday is uh, we're going to do kind of a multi-part episode on what are called mesofacts. Mesofacts are like you know you have an idea what about a, what a velociraptor looks like based on something you were told 20, 25 years ago. The information changes, but your fact doesn't. So it's going to be about a bunch of things that have sort of acquired a kind of static quality of truthfulness in your brain, but have actually changed since then. And then Fridays the Nose, our cultural roundtable. We're watching uh, a pretty interesting series called The Power, uh, based on a book by Naomi Alderman, which we also featured on the Nose years ago. And what else? Um, that's all. All right. Uh, I have to go back here. We've got Tucker from Stanford. Hi, Tucker. You have the floor. Hey, Colin. Um, how you doing? Good, good, good. Um, so, just from one of the greats as yourself, uh, what are you listening to uh, recently on the podcast side of things? I need a good walking uh, podcast. Okay, so I'm just I'm pulling up the thing on my phone right now. Um, I mean, obviously, I listen to the daily stuff like that. Everybody does uh, because of the Trump stuff. I experimented a little bit with a podcast called Talking Feds, which. Uh, I think would be really good, it's hosted by Harry Littman. It would be good, except their audio quality is just crap. I mean, Harry 
Get like a blue Yeti microphone or something. Get some. <clears throat> the thing that I'm addicted to right now, this guy, Scott Galloway, who does two different podcasts. One of them is The Pivot with Kara Swisher. Um, I think Kara Swisher is really smart, but she's kind of too cool for school. That sort of she, I find her a little bit off-putting. But this guy Galloway, who was an entrepreneur, he made a ton of money with startups, and now he's sort of become more of a, a professor and a commentator. And he's brilliant, and he kind of talks the way that I think. I mean, unfortunately, or depending, fortunately, he has an incredibly sophomoric sense of humor that he in- insists on injecting into everything that he does. So there are these really dumb jokes about, well, I mean, I don't know. There's no, I guess I'm not allowed to use the term on the air, but there, there's a certain kind of joke that he does over and over again, which is a little bit annoying, or it makes it hard for me to recommend it to, say, a 20-year-old female college student or something. But he he does a thing called the Prof, the prof G pod. <clears throat> And he, he talks a lot about finance and business, and I'm trying to learn about that. And, and I I, just, I think he's funny, and I think he's really interesting. The one that's up right now is a conversation with a very, very smart observer, observer of the financial system. Usually his podcast is more eclectic. Uh, he goes through lots of different topics. So I would maybe go back, if you were going to try out the Prof G pod, uh, I would go back to one of his office hour. I would go back to the podcast, How Chips Rule the Modern World with Chris Miller. That's one of his podcast episodes. It's terrific. He begins with a monologue about Twitter that is spectacular. I don't know what else. The New Yorkers, the political scene, obviously the gist with Mike Pesca. Uh, I like to listen to This Week in Virology because I'm a nerd. My favorite cultural podcast is The Watch. It's one of the Ringer podcasts It's with Chris uh, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. Very smart about culture. So anyway, that's what I got right now. I mean, it's, you know, it's not the most exciting stuff in the world, but it, that's my life too. All right. We have to stop. We have to stop. Thank you very much, Tucker. And I'm sorry to everybody else that we didn't get to you, but you know, it's not like we're never going to do this again. So thanks for calling.